0: before Hunter S. Thompson could become a celebrated literary legend and terrorizer, he needed to learn how to write. Now whilst many artists, writers and creatives would toil away at their own craft for years, or try and emulate their favourites as a starting block, Thompson literally copied great works of fiction. He would type out in entirety the F. Scott Fitzgerald classic The Great Gatsby, as well as Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. He did this to learn what it felt like to write a great work. Poring over every word and sentence helped him to understand structure, pacing, and plotting. How to write a story that would stand the test of time. At around the same time Thompson was doing this, across the pond, the artist Bridget Riley was conducting the same approach. It was her studies and copies of Georges Surratt's Pointillism, in particularly his painting The Bridge at Courbevoie*. That led her to adopt the optical art or op art style. She said, his work gave me a sense of the viewer's importance as an active participant. Perception became the medium. You're listening to Kunst Please, a podcast about modern art. And this story is going to be one hell of a trip. <laughs> Have you ever done a magic eye? Or tried to figure out whether the drawing is a duck or a rabbit? Is the dress blue or gold? You've seen optical art. After a short stint in advertising as a commercial illustrator, in the early 60s, Bridget Riley began her art career proper. Her first op art pieces were always black and white, formed of simple geometric shapes made into mesmerising patterns. The basis of the approach was through impersonal geometric abstraction. In Riley's words, I couldn't get near what I wanted through seeing, recognising and recreating, so I stood the problem on its head. I started studying squares, rectangles, triangles and the sensations they gave rise to. It is untrue that my work depends on any literary impulse or has any illustrative intention. The marks on the canvas are sole and essential agents in a series of relationships which form the structure of the painting. In 1965, she participated in an exhibition at New York's MoMA called The Responsive Eye. It was a huge success with punters and was even the subject of a short film directed by a young Brian De Palma, some 20 years before Scarface. At this point, whilst the public loved the trippy optical art. The critics were less kind, calling it gimmicky. Which, looking at it now, you can kind of see, but only after being subjected to countless weird visual illusion puzzles on social media and album art, utilising the same techniques. But at the time, op art channeled the unsettling, disturbing vibrations that lay beneath the bright, hopeful exterior of the 60s. It was a decade of doubt, anxiety and apprehension, the threat of nuclear war ever imminent. But hey, don't be a square. It's the swinging 60s and monochromatic dots and lines are totally in. Op art was hip and Bridget Riley was propelled to the upper echelon of cool Britannia. The music of colour. That's what I want. So said Riley towards the end of the decade, when she slowly started to integrate colour into her work. Her positioning of colourful tones within the patterns further accentuated the sense of movement. The woozy, did I just see that feeling? you got from looking at her monochromatic work, now also shimmered and darted with the life of colour. The audience's participation in op art was key. Through being drawn in, hypnotised by the work's, They were complicit in something akin to the happenings of the time period. But who needs mind-altering hallucinogens when you can just go to a gallery? Or at least you could do both. Much like chemical narcotics, whose behavioural outcomes were completely opposed to the rigorous science that created them, Riley's precision art was the result of meticulous planning and testing before paint met canvas. She would study and arrange every stroke of the design and composition, architecting the piece, before instructing her team of assistants to execute. Rules, rules, rules. Although she was now using colour, Riley would only permit herself to use three shades. That was until a trip to Egypt in the early 80s saw her encounter 3,000-year-old colour schemes that shimmered with the brilliance she had been searching for. From this point on, her output became a dazzling riot of colour, from blended lines that looked like blurred life and brilliant colour, to the mesmerising patterns of her Lozenge series. She was poetic about colour. If you can allow colour to breathe, to occupy its own space, to play its own game in its unstable way, its wanton behaviour, so to speak, it is promiscuous like nothing. Bridget Riley is one of the most prolific artists of her generation, and her six-decade-spanning career is still running. She's currently showing in London now, in fact, the David's Werner Gallery, until July 31st. Pop along if you're a UK listener. This quote from Bridget was in the gallery notes, which I thought was pretty interesting. I'm sometimes asked, what is your objective? And this I cannot truthfully answer. I work from something rather than towards something. It is a process of discovery." In the words of Hunter S. Thompson, Buy the ticket, take the ride. And there it is, Bridget Riley, one hell of a trip. Kunst Please was created and produced by Jonathan Heath, that's me. Be sure to follow the gallery space on Instagram, at kunstplease, for the complete picture. And check out the show notes for assorted bits and ephemera from this episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the experience, share it with a friend and start a conversation about art.